Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the home of the purple people eaters and maybe a purple state, it's election shock therapy here at Bethel University. I'm Chris Moore and joining me on this Google Hangout are... Andy Bramson and Matt Kukum. And I think we all deserve an explanation of what purple people eaters. Sam, what are the purple people eaters? That is the uh, Minnesota Vikings defensive line from the yeah. 1970s. They were amazing. A in which I was alive. Me too. Just <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And so do all of our listeners from beyond the state of Minnesota. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's more of a generational thing than a regional thing. Like if I think if somebody was alive in the seventies, they would know that. Right. If you're an NFL, you're NFL fan, for sure. they played in know. four Super Bowls. They lost them all, but they played in four <laughs> Super Bowls. They were a power. They were the Buffalo Bills before the Buffalo Bills were the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that everyone knows about that particular Matt, term. Matt, you just I, you just need to sit back on this one and trust us. This is okay. like a known thing. Right. Matt is a child of the eighties. So just I will he's also a child of the Cowboys. So let's uh, uh, uh don't get me started. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right, what guys. Do you think about Jerry Jones. Talk about um about off about defensive lines. We're here to talk about uh, <laughs> political and I'll just, uh, we have a lot of things to talk about today, but I said purple state and purple people leaders because Hillary Clinton won Minnesota by 45,000 votes back in 2016. The Trump administration thinks they can pick off Minnesota this year uh, as part of their uh, surprise run to a second term for Donald Trump. We're going to break that down. We're going to look at a bunch of other key states and maybe some key Senate races to evaluate what we think the, what people should be watching on election night. Yep. So overall, first, let's do a top-level view. Where do things stand? What are some of the national trends? Are we, are we seeing any changes? Um, I'll just give the the, the quick um, top-line story right now. 538, uh, which I'm checking with uh, nearly problematic amounts of, of ferocity uh, yeah. at this point, <laughs> as Joe Biden at a 89 uh, times out of 100 chance of winning the presidency. Now, there's a lot that goes into that. Again, we've talked about 538 before. It's a polling aggregation website, and they're they're actually weighting the polls as well. Then they're counting, seeing where those polls are coming from, and they're assigning individual prospects to each state. All of that leads up to Trump having a somewhere between an 11 and 12 percent chance of winning the election. However, that doesn't mean he's done. That means yeah. ten, one time out of 10, if 538's right, he wins the election. So that's the overall top line number from 538. Guys, are you seeing anything different from anywhere else? I mean, if you look at um, look at all the polls that have come out just in the, you know, just in the past four or five days, almost all of them look good for Biden. Um, let's just say if I was um, in the Biden campaign, I would not want to trade positions with the Trump campaign, right? <laughs> um, they nearly all look good for Biden at this stage, um, even across a lot of the key battleground states. Um, a few exceptions here and there. Um, there's maybe the slightest hint that there's um, a little bit of narrowing in a few states, but overall, um, it's it's been remarkably stable. 
Yeah. Where, where and, do we sit? There's a few. There's a few um, battleground states we've had closer, um, closer polls recently. So places like Florida um, have been closer. Um, some, you know, relatively close in, you know, like I think Arizona there was a close one. But um, you know, and Georgia continues to be really close for Trump, which that's pretty much a must win for him. So, you know, you get some of those. But I think yeah, Matt's right. I mean, overall, this seems to be favoring Biden. The margins have been pretty steady when you look at kind of the average across the polls. Um, so you can certainly cherry pick some polls to make it look like you know Trump's doing better. Um, but when you look at the overall picture, it does seem pretty strong for Biden. Okay. Now, can I tell you one of my least favorite tropes of this season? It happened in 2016. It happened in 2012. It happened in 2008. <laughs> this is one of Chris Moore's pet peeves. All right. The journalist or the news story that says, I was hanging out in this cafe in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and right. everybody in there was voting for Trump. Oh my gosh. Yes. That doesn't tell us anything except maybe the quality of pie in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, <laughs> which by the way, I'm told is quite high. Um, yeah. <laughs> we can agree on that across party lines. Um, I, you know what? At this point in polarization in the United States, Andy, I fully expect like one party to take a strong stand against fruit pies or something yeah. like that. It's, it's yeah. yeah. But in all seriousness, these kinds of stories of I was driving around Oakland right. County and I saw lots of Trump signs and no Biden signs. This yeah. is this is not good social science. No. Um, but it is it's not even it's, social science. No, <laughs> it, but it's, it's not. But it's not even particularly. Um, it's, it is very evocative, though, right? Because yeah. um, that's what yeah. we do drive around our yeah. neighborhoods and we see street signs up or we see uh, people's signs in their lawns and we say, oh, okay, I, you know, I kind of get a sense of this neighborhood. And that's what you've done. You've got a sense of political enthusiasm in that neighborhood. Um, yep. Yep. Is there some kind of way of capturing enthusiasm in a more systematic way? Well, I mean, pollsters ask about this. I mean, they ask yeah. about you know, how enthused are you to, about voting, right? Um, you can measure, you know, like sort of the amount of likelihood people are to actually turn out. Um, and those measures too look pretty positive for Biden, right? I mean, like it looks like his base is pretty, pretty fired up. Um, so when you kind of add that to the polling numbers, um, that looks good. I mean, I agree on this pet peeve, Chris, like, and I have the same thing. Like I had a friend just posting on Facebook about, you know, like, Oh, you know, posting pictures of like Trump's crowd size, right? Like, look at these crowds. You can't convince any of these pollsters are just off base. And it's like, look, I mean, like, yeah, of course he has big crowds, right? I mean, like 60 million Americans will vote for the president, right? Um, 60 million Americans will vote for Biden. And the interesting part is how many more vote for each of them, right? I mean, because we know there's going to be a ton of people voting for both of them, right? Um, because both parties' bases is probably, you know, in the electors, probably at least 42, if not 44% of the, the, you know, total number of voters, right? So it's a lot of people. Um, so a lot of signs, a lot of people in a cafe in Lancaster, a lot of people at a, you know, Trump rally, it doesn't tell us very much. What the polls try to do is get beyond that and say, okay, but what's going on in the group that, you know, doesn't put signs in their yard, doesn't show up to rallies, um, and isn't in a particular cafe at a particular moment. But is still going to show up and vote, though, right? And that's right. capturing the too. right? Which is where those those enthusiasm measures do matter. Um, and you know, again, it doesn't. There's no indication to suggest the Democratic base is unenthused about this election. Yeah, um, I mean, enthusiasm is high across the board. That's yes. why we have what's probably right. going to be record turnout, right? Yep. So they're, yep. you know, people are pumped up. Um, yep. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily excited about one candidate. Some are, some aren't, but there's high enthusiasm for getting out to vote. Um, and that's right. why you're seeing what's probably going to be a record high turnout general election. 
Okay, yep. Matt, can I actually follow up directly on that? Because this gets us a little bit more sure. away from punditry, a little bit more towards a, a real social science question that I don't know the answer to. I'm hoping you do. <laughs> Certainly, there's been a lot of mail-in turnout and early voting turnout. Way, way more than we've uh, ever experienced in a presidential okay. election. And we know why. It's because of the coronavirus. And a lot of states have made early voting more possible. A lot of states have expanded mail-in voting and made that easier. And so we've gotten a lot of that. Uh, something like 75 million Americans have already cast ballots. But how do we know? Oh, 83.5, actually. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah. Which, um, um, that's 60% so far of the 2016 total mm -hmm. general election. Yeah. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, we still have a few days to go before the actual uh, general election day itself. So. so that's where I want to get to here is yeah. how do how do social scientists know that when we hit Tuesday, that maybe there isn't just a huge crash in turnout and all the people who were really going to vote kind of already did. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, there's been some attempts to actually model this, right? Because there's, yeah, there's a chance that there's going to be maybe lower than normal turnout on election day itself. Um, so yeah, we, we can't know with complete certainty. Um, and we do have to make some, some assumptions about, um, the sort of people who are going to come out and vote. But, but I think one of the things that people are sort of looking at is the number of like people who are registering to vote for the first time is off the charts, right? Uh, people who have not come out to vote before who are coming out to vote now and doing it early, right? Which is also remarkable. So I think that's, that's probably the single biggest thing that that we're looking at that that shows us that we're in sort of a um, we're in sort of record breaking territory. We're you know we won't know for sure um, until you know the election you know night um, exactly what the turnout is. But um, but you know I mean estimates are that we're likely going to have between 145 to 165 million people voting. Um, and in 2016 it was 137 million. So we're probably going to top. 2016, um, and we could top it by quite a lot, depending on how things shake out. Yeah. Now, for what it's worth, the I, going back to the purple people leaders for a second, the Minnesota <laughs> GOP is touting the fact that um, 250,000 white rural voters who weren't registered in 2016 are registered to vote this time around. And this has been a big get out the vote effort on the part of the GOP in Minnesota. And the, re the the thought here is white rural voters probably overwhelmingly go for Trump. Uh, if 250,000, uh, Clinton only won the state by 45,000. So um, this could be a big significant effect if these numbers are accurate, right? Possibly. <laughs> I mean, I would... There you go. I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I would probably... Um, trust polling more than um, looking at particular sort of voter registration um, in a state sure. and new sure. voter registrations, um, sure. because that's a more appropriate way to pick a sample. Now, there's still ways, you know, there's still assumptions that you're making when you're picking your sample as a pollster, yeah. right? Um, but just because, I mean, there's, but there's new registrations on the other side as well. So it's like, you got to, yeah. And, and there's people who are, um, who are, you know, registering to vote who we don't know um, their exact partisanship, right? So yeah. um, I, I would be hesitant to read too much into sort of um, new voter registrations on either side um, as, a, as a way of you know, reading the tea leaves to figure out what's going to happen.
Right. I think I agree with that. Although where that could matter to kind of get something Matt alluded to is, I mean, like when you do a poll, you make assumptions about what the electorate's going to look like. Right. Um, and, and so it could be that if, if that, you know, that new registration really changes the composition of the electorate such that it is more white, more rural, right. Then that could mean that the polls are off. If, you know, if basically the, the universe of voters doesn't look the way the polls assumed, right. If it's more white and more rural and therefore we would assume more Trump, right. Um, then polls in Minnesota could be kind of understating the president's support. Right. I mean, that's a possibility. I still think I agree with Matt. Like I would tend to say like these pollsters are pretty good at what they do. Um, you know, maybe they'll be proven wrong, but they're usually pretty close. Yeah. I mean, this could matter more for like state level um, sort of legislative, um, like, you know, state legislature, you know, elections. Right. Um, and, and where the distribution of those those votes are. So it might matter more for that than for, you know, a statewide election result. Right. Such as for, you know, the Senate or for the, the president. Um, but, you know, I, it's interesting, um, you know, there, again, I, we, we keep having this discussion about, you know, are the polls right? Are the polls right? Um, and what if the polls are wrong? But, you know, polling error can go both ways, right? Um, you know, and the idea that I think Trump supporters are, are saying, like, well, the polling error is again going to go in favor of in Trump across all of these states and it's gonna be big, right, is there's just not a lot of evidence for that. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Crazy things yeah. could happen, right? This is an inexact science, it's an art as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but even if we assume 2016 polling errors across a whole bunch of states, right? guess who wins? Biden still wins, even with right. the same size polling error, right? So yeah. Nate Cohn at the, at the Upshot New York Times basically sort of like did this thing where he basically says, okay, let's take our current sort of polling data and then let's build in the 2016 error, which is like heavily weighing, you know, across a lot of states, right? Beyond just the states in which there was a significant right. polling error, put in all the states and Biden still wins handily. Biden still wins 335 electoral votes compared to Trump 203. So, so even if there is a polling error, it's gonna have to be, it's gonna have to be a lot bigger than 2016 um, for Trump to, to pull this out. It's, I'm not, I'm not saying that couldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, it's not the most likely scenario. Right. Can I ask a nerdy stats question? Is there, uh, so we talk about a, a margin of error in a poll. And even if we aggregate polls, we talk about the margin of error in the polls, right? So if Biden has a um, five point lead in Pennsylvania, but there's a plus, uh, there's a plus four margin of error. So it means his lead could be as little as one, one point and as much as nine, right? The error in Pennsylvania and the error in Wisconsin and the error in Ohio, these terms, they're all about 4% or so once you, you know, in high quality polls, could those error terms be autocorrelated? And what I mean by that is, sure. is there a chance that the that any given error in any given set of polls is uh, matching or correlated to other the error in other kinds of polls. So that what I mean by that is to say, if the if the race in Pennsylvania is actually closer than the poll predicts, like it's actually closer to one percent than five percent, would that also then be more likely to be true in Ohio and Wisconsin as well? Or are those Possible. things not? I mean, so you are, get are these things not correlated? Yeah, I mean, the, there can be some correlate. I mean, there's nothing that's 
that says that it has to be necessarily, but they can be simply because, you know, certain assumptions that pollsters are making across different states, especially within a region, right? And the characteristics of that region could mean that if they're applying those same sort of assumptions into building their samples across each state, um, then, you know, if you have the same sort of miss in each state, um, then yeah, it could mean that polling errors kind of tend to track, you know, one direction, which is kind of what happened in 2016 um, with like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, right? It wasn't much, but the polling errors all sort of move together in that direction, but they don't have to, right? Um, they don't have to. And especially if you look sort of beyond regions, right? Beyond certain clusters of states, um, the likelihood that polling errors are going to track together sort of decreases. Okay. Right. That's helpful. But anything right. could happen, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. So overall, if we had to offer some kind of um, light to this fire, is there any uh, evidence that high turnout is benefits either Biden or Trump? Or is this just a wash at this point? Um, I think, you know, like one thing that's instructive, I guess, to me is it does seem like the assumption of the parties, both parties, right, is that high turnout benefits the Democratic Party, right? And so you definitely see some things on the Republican side where it feels like they are trying to, if not actively restrict turnout, certainly not facilitate it, right? Um, and so I think there is a built-in assumption where that, that higher turnout helps there. I think it also is the case that if you have higher turnout and you're ahead in the polls, right, then you would generally assume that the the polling lead is less likely to be ephemeral, right? In other words, that it's less it's more likely to be real and hold up. Where this could turn to Trump is if you get his base turning out better than Biden's base, right? Because they're enthused. Um, then all of a sudden, right, you get this, you know, these polling numbers maybe don't mean quite what we thought because like maybe they're soft, right? Maybe they just reflect people's preference. But if, you know, 10% of the people who preferred Biden don't turn out to vote and all of Trump's do, right? Then that all of a sudden changes the vote totals pretty dramatically, right? So, um, so I think in general, I mean, like given the polling and given sort of party behaviors, I would sort of assume um, higher turnout probably benefits the Democratic Party. Um, but, you know, again, you know, we'll know for sure once we see it, right? But that's, that's I think, the, the kind of the best evidence would suggest that. That's yeah. yeah, that's good. I'll, I'll kind of build on that. So super high turnout means that more than the two bases are potentially turning out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that means it really matters, you know, especially those new voters. There's a lot of people coming out of the woodworks to vote who haven't voted before, it seems, right? We won't know sort of for sure how many until sort of election day, but that's what it looks like right now, given given the data, the early voting data that we have, right? Now the question is, okay, these new voters that are coming out um, to vote who haven't voted much before, you know, they're not sort of part of the hardcore base for the most part on either side. So the question is, is that sort of big group of new voters scattered across the fruited plain, you know, are they, are they primarily coming out for Trump or are they primarily coming out for Biden? Um, my theory is that um, they are going to be more supportive of Biden than Trump. Certainly some of them are gonna vote for Trump, but I would say more are probably gonna vote for Biden. Of course, yeah. it matters what states um, those those folks are in, right? How those are yeah. distributed. So so my theory here, so here's my theory, guys. So. So super high turnout means that there are, you know, a lot of sort of new voters coming out of the woodworks. Now, for the most part, new voters who don't vote very much are low information voters. Um, that doesn't mean they're dumb. Doesn't mean they're unintelligent. It just means that right. they don't follow politics a whole lot. They tend to sort of 
um, you know, not have a lot of information about candidates, right? Yep. Um, and these voters, for the most part, when they're driven to the polls, um, they're, they're coming out because they feel like um, this election actually really does matter that I get out to vote, right? They feel the need yep. to sort of weigh in for the first time. Now, new voters can do this for maybe a couple of main reasons. So new voters can do this if they're super excited about the candidate for the first time. You got this in 2016. Trump brought out some people who hadn't traditionally voted very much, yep. right? Um, but that's really not the case this time around, I don't think, um, because Trump is a known quantity. Those people that really like Trump then, they, they've come out and they're going to vote for him again. The new voters that are coming out, my guess is they're primarily driven by negatives, right? Um, not enthusiasm. They're just gung-ho about a candidate. They're driven by negatives. So either they really dislike Trump, which fits the data because Trump's um, disapproval rating is historically extremely high. It's off the charts compared to every president that the United States has had since we've done polling. It's off the charts. So either they really dislike Trump or they really dislike the direction of the Democratic Party, which is pushing far left. Not necessarily they dislike Biden, who's um, approval ratings as a, as a person are actually relatively high. So they either right. dislike Trump as a person or they dislike the direction of the Democratic Party, yep. which supposedly Biden represents. Now, the question is, which group is bigger? And I would say that there's good reason to believe that the anti-Trump new voters are bigger, a bigger group than the anti-Biden new voters. Why? Okay. Okay. If you're tracking with me. First of all, second term presidential elections are oftentimes a referendum on the incumbent, right? right? This is something that we've known as political scientists for for a long time. And this is definitely a referendum election, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing related to this is that Trump has really low approval numbers on his handling of the pandemic, which is sort of front of mind for a lot of voters. He's underwater on this. Um, he is slightly above water on his handling of the economy, but his disapproval on COVID is far higher than the approval on the economy. And the economy still isn't great for a lot of people. Unemployment is high. And so if you're a low information voter, you're turning out because you know things are generally bad and yep. you're dissatisfied with the way things are going. And this is borne out as we've seen COVID numbers increase in the upper Midwest. We've actually seen Trump's approval rating drop. Um, so low information voters, they're... They're driven, you know, by negatives, right? Mm -hmm. Negative considerations. And it also turns out that they're not very ideological, right? Um, and so low information voters are not paying attention to what happened in the Democratic primaries. They're not paying attention to, you know, um, you know, Biden's various pivots towards the left. They know Biden from the Obama administration, right? And low information voters um, have a fairly positive view of Obama mm -hmm. and Biden. Right. Biden is a household name. It's not associated with super hard left politics. Right. Yeah. He's sort of middle of the, the Democratic Party. That's how he's perceived. And so I th this is, you know, educated guesswork, but it seems like the majority of low information voters are not going to be compelled to turn out in droves to reject Biden. Right. Um, a few will. Some will, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But because low information and new voters, they're driven less by ideological considerations and more by negatives, this is to Trump's disadvantage, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're driven by their own experiences and their general impressions that they get from the news. And their experiences in the past year have been bad. Um, they, have, they don't like Trump's handling of the economy. They don't like his inflammatory style um, and his handling of the pandemic. And so I think all of these reasons sort of together, you know, 
my hypothesis is that new voters are going to be more likely on the whole to be anti-Trump than to be anti-Biden. Yep, so, I agree. So, yeah, so all that is to say the higher the normal turnout, if, it's, if, if that's the way things shake out this week, will probably be a bit more to the advantage of Biden than Trump. Right. Right. And again, you know, it's worth reiterating and Biden's ahead in the polls by quite a lot. Right. So uh, I think, you know, when you think about that, like what Trump needs at this point is something weird to happen. Right. And what Matt's just described is a very compelling logic for why it doesn't look like that's happening. And insofar as it is, it probably favors Biden more than not. We're probably not looking at something like a November surprise, though. I mean, there's I mean, what at this point, <laughs> the kind of thing that would have to happen to be that kind of a system shock, Andy, would have to be truly yeah. calamitous. Right. Uh, right. One right. of the candidates dying. All right? Um, right. Or maybe getting COVID. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, like, you know, even like you have a Jim Comey kind of moment like we had last time, right, where he comes out. I'm going to reinvestigate Hillary's emails. Right. I mean, that wouldn't matter this time, obviously. But you know, <laughs> I'm going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> As a private citizen, um, you know, but like even if you had that moment, it would matter much less because of the early voting, right? I mean, like so many votes are already baked in. I mean, like you know, I haven't voted, right? Um, but a lot of people have, right? And so they're they're done. I mean, they're not going to reconsider. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, it's it's it is what it is at this point. Um, and so I just think even if that were to happen, I just don't know how much impact it would really have. Six yeah. six foot eight, Jim Comey comes on TV wearing a DHL uniform and says, I have Tucker Carlson's package. <laughs> Dear me. Gosh, no. Yeah, I think we can all agree that it would be better for us if Jim Comey doesn't make the news in the next few days. <laughs> Yes. I believe, even, I believe even Jim Comey feels that way. Yeah, I, um, think he I think he may have a, one or two regrets about his behaviors. Yeah. Um, no, if you didn't hear that, just just for those of you who are uh, uh, who have not followed this story, apparently um, Tucker Carlson on his Fox News television show a couple nights ago um, announced that he had some very incriminating documents related to Hunter Biden's business dealings in China, which directly linked them to Joe Biden, and that he was asked to ship these documents off to who was it in California? They, 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 were, they, were, they were being shipped cross country. Um, and they put him in a, put him with a, he didn't say it was DHL. We put him with a major, uh, courier service, a major well-known brand name courier service in the United States. And they just never arrived. They just, they disappeared. Um, so, um, isn't it convenient that the only copy of these documents he had are no longer in his possession? Anyway, well, just sort of what I'm referring bizarre. to, I mean, it's like, it's not like this is an impoverished person who can't run photocopies or, you know, scan a PDF. Who probably I mean, has staff that could do like, that. I mean, like, right, exactly. Like there's one or two people that work for his program. Like, I mean, how hard is this? Like, go, Hey, go run me a copy. And for, just for kicks, let's have a backup PDF um, yeah. in the computer system or in the cloud. Right. Like, <laughs> like the whole thing is just kind of humorous. Anyway, this is why you should <laughs> hire liberal arts majors. We're good at archiving stuff. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much digital humanities. All right, <laughs> what? Let, let's shift topics a little bit here. So we've oh, talked please. a little bit about um, Matt's voter theory, which I'm inclined to believe too. I think that um, enthusiasm and 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 turnout probably helps the challenger in this case yep. for exactly the reasons you specified. Let's get to something grimmer. We're just uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but we need to review it. Yeah. Um, we need to review. We need to bring back Matt to, for his uh, his earlier in the month rant. Um, when can we think reasonably we could know the results of this election? It depends. How's that? Yeah. Answer? <laughs> um, That's my answer too. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. So it well, uh, it depends on the state because every state has different um, different regulations and is yep. involved embroiled even in different lit litigation on these regulations. Um, and it depends on how close the vote is um, in each of those states and how effective they are at processing their ballots. So some states, you know, we're going to and we can kind of go through this when we walk through the states. Some states are we will probably have some some pretty good results um, on election night. Some it might be days, right? Um, and so, so I, I would say overall, if you're thinking about, um, you know, when will we know who wins the electoral college? We will know earlier of a Biden win than a Trump win. Just yeah. kind of get that in your minds, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's the thing to keep in mind. So if the longer things play out, you know, the better it is for Trump, so to speak. Um, if Biden's going to have yeah. a blowout, we'll get a sense of that early in the night, especially with some of the states that we know will be releasing their their vote totals. Yep. But, but yeah, it could it could be a very dark and messy couple of weeks um, with litigation um, surrounding you know how ballots are going to be counted, how ballot error is dealt with, right? Um, there's already litigation over all sorts of things related to ballot receipt deadlines, postmark dates or lack of postmarks on ballots, security envelopes, signature verification, polling locations, drop-off locations. Uh, there's there's a lot of messes already, and this litigation is going to continue, especially in states in which there's you know tight races. So, yep. For example, in Minnesota, here the fed a federal court just yeah. ruled that uh, ballots um, received after um, election eight o'clock on, on Tuesday um, should be separated, um, which means that they can still collect them. They don't have to destroy them, but they won't necessarily be counted and they need to be sort of uh, sectioned off from the rest of the votes it, with the with the likely interpretation is that they may not be counted at that point. Right. Yeah, certainly possible. Well, so all this is say here's your public service and, and, and all this could matter right because if, sure. some, if some yeah. votes are, are thrown out right and if the votes are disproportionately in favor of one candidate that can make a difference right yep. um remember you know donald trump he won pennsylvania and wisconsin by extremely small margins like michigan too michigan. yeah michigan too right um and so you know, a few, you know, a few thousand ballots getting chunked could make a difference. Now, again, if Biden has a blowout in some of these states, it won't matter um, if if a bunch of mail in ballots, which are going to be disproportionately Democratic, um, it won't matter if they're chunked. Right. Yep. Um, but if it's close, it could. Yep. 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 So as we start to look, well, well, well let's 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 go to it directly. So the Electoral yeah. College. Uh, we all, everybody who um, who talks about politics talks about swing states, and with good reason. We have maybe um, a dozen or so states that we could really be in play. Most other states are pretty foregone conclusions. Yeah. Should we go through a quick, pretty quick breakdown here? Let's do it. All right. Pretty quick. Matt, lead us off. All right. So we're going to kind of go in order of descending order of importance. So most important first. Let's start oh, okay. out with. Let's start out with Pennsylvania. Um, we have sort of a handy uh, chart that we're all, yep. we're, we're all working off of here. So Pennsylvania has 20 electoral votes. Um, and um, and in 2016, Trump won Pennsylvania by less than 1%, 1%, so 0.72%. Um, and currently, 538 um, has a 86% probability that Biden actually wins the state. Um, but Pennsylvania is involved. There's basically a litigation, just hot mess in Pennsylvania right now. Um, and sort of the 
we're basically, we're probably not going to know about Pennsylvania on election night. Um, firm results are not expected on election night unless Biden has a blowout, um, in part because um, there's a lot of ballots that aren't going to be, you know, count, the mail ballots aren't counted until election day. Um, and ballots and ballots that arrive within three days after election day can still be counted, right? So really don't expect final results, firm results from uh, Pennsylvania until probably Friday, unless it's a huge Biden blowout. Right, right. And really, those are boil down to is if the popular vote that uh, or if the vote that takes place in Pennsylvania happens on election day goes in Biden's favor, then it's probably going to be a significant Biden win in Pennsylvania. But there's a really good chance that Trump right. wins on election day, but loses the mail-in ballots. Right. And that could be where Pennsylvania gets really ugly and could take a long time to, to, to tabulate. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. And whenever you have a state, you know, that is clearly, um, especially if the state isn't counting mail-in ballots until election day and they sort of get dumped in, um, sometime in the middle of election night or they or mail ballots sort of trickle in after election day that could sort of produce yeah. a kind of shift in the running sort of results that are published by the secretary of state website um which is you know how we learn about the results and that's going to lead to you know people in various quarters it, on either side depending on how things shake out of you know elections being stolen or rigged or whatever but just understand it's because <laughs> the ballots are in process of being counted um and that can produce, you know, these these shifts. So don't don't put too much stock in initial results. Right. Sort right. of a takeaway on that. Okay, so I'll take the next state uh, that is the, in, in order of importance, and that is Florida. Florida has twenty nine electoral college votes, and they nearly always vote with the electoral college winner. Uh, the only exception uh, being nineteen ninety two, so quite a while ago as well. Trump won the state by one and a half, one point two percent back in twenty sixteen. And um, although this time it's about a one in three chance he has of picking up the win again, there's been a slight edge for Democratic voters in early voting. But one of the key differences between Florida and Pennsylvania is they're already counting their mail-in ballots. So hopefully by the time we hit election day, Florida will be all caught up or mostly caught up with mail-in ballots and just the day of election responsible for counting. So we could know Florida pretty early on in the process. Mm -hmm. Florida is really important. I'll just add to that. Um, so basically Biden has more electoral college votes that he can count on that are sort of in the bank already. This means yep. that Biden needs to pick up fewer of these sort of swing states, right? Yep. So this gives Biden more paths to victory. It's kind of the term that's being yeah. used. Mm -hmm. So that means Trump needs to pick up as many of these swing states as possible. Florida is the is the biggest true swing state coming in at 29 electoral votes. Trump needs Florida. If he loses Florida, there's a very high chance he loses the electoral college um, simply because of its size. Um, you know, Florida has voted with the electoral college winner nine out of 10 times um, in the past 30 years. <laughs> um, and, and also, and also, you know, Florida is, is interesting because it has a Hispanic population that is most likely to support Trump uh, across most of the states right. and also has a lot of seniors who are key constituency. And so, so if Trump loses Florida, it means that he's not gotten support from key constituencies. And that indicates that he's probably going to do poorly amongst those constituencies in other states as well. So if he loses Florida for lots of reasons, there's, um, there's a, not much hope left for him. And Florida, there's a good chance we'll know. Um, 
will know that night because they have been counting for weeks now and because um, their ballot deadline is is actually election day itself. So they're not gonna be waiting for all these outstanding ballots to trickle in over the following week. So so Florida is gonna be, I think, the most important state to watch actually on Tuesday night itself. Yeah, and I think I would just add to that, like if zoom out for a second here, like in thinking about different states, I mean, like there's there's a four states on the East Coast that I'll be watching because the East Coast is gonna come in earlier. Um, and, and Trump, for Trump to have a legitimate chance to win re-election, to me, those need to all be at least close, right? Like, like they need to be debatable. And that's Florida, it's Pennsylvania, which you've already mentioned, and it's Georgia and it's North Carolina, right? And like, if the president is clearly has lost one of those, he's in big trouble. If he's lost two of them, it's probably done, right? Um, if he's close in all of them, then this could be an interesting night, right? Uh, I think that's that's where I'm, some, one of the things I'll be tracking. So, I mean, just to like touch on the next two states on our list, we have Wisconsin and Michigan, and I think it's worth lumping them together because they both are states where right now, 538's got overwhelming probability is that Joe Biden will, in fact, win these back for the Democrats. Both were surprises in 16 um, that Trump won, and both were very narrow victories. And so a lot of things went right um, in terms of the turnout. Um, but the pretty widespread expectation and the pretty clear indication from the polls is that it looks like Biden's likely to win. So it'd be a really big shock if Trump were to um, hold either of those, which is another reason why I think the East Coast states become even more important for the president. Yeah. And I'll make a very quick note um, when you're looking at returns from Florida and Michigan, these states are divided across time zones. Um, so Florida, most of Florida is going to have yeah. its polls close and, and the first results yeah. reported from the eastern time zone, right, which is sort of the, the bulk of Florida. But then in central time is the Florida panhandle, which is basically the American South, which is very red, different than the rest right. of Florida. So keep yeah. that in mind as well. Biden might have a lead, you know, early on, but that lead is likely to sort of shrink as the panhandle reports in. Michigan is something similar. Um, so most of it, Michigan is on central time, but far eastern Michigan is on Eastern time. And that is that includes Detroit, right, which is more democratic. So kind of keep that in mind for those two states as well. Right. Uh, quick, just quick correction there coming from the guy who uh, did undergrad in or did undergrad in Michigan. Um, most of Michigan, I think all of Michigan, except maybe a couple oh. district areas around on the uh, on the lake side are on or is on Eastern time. Michigan okay. Eastern time. We don't get sent. We don't get central to hit Chicago. Uh, okay. All right. Isn't the UP on central though? What's that? Isn't the UP on central? That's a great question. I feel bad. And Corey Johnson or Betsy Hudala, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry, listeners. Okay. So um, Michigan might matter less on the time zone split. Yeah. yeah. Florida does matter. So yeah, I'll, absolutely. I'll mend my statement. So, um, okay. So, uh, my next state I'll, I'll kick in is North Carolina. And I have a question for Matt here. So North Carolina, also potential swing state, 50 electoral college votes right, right around Michigan there. Um, what's interesting here is that Trump won the state relatively handily by three and a half percent, uh, yep. in 2016. But again, it's sort of a two out of three chances it goes to Biden in 2020, according to 538. We don't have, um, uh, uh, we have a, a substantial early lead for uh, Democrats in early voting, uh, sort of. Uh, um, but what you've put in here is that you think there's a, de a debate, a delay likely, especially if the vote's close. What's going on in North Carolina that might delay the vote, Matt? So the so the just a few few things. So the early and mail ballots, um, which are going to likely favor ba Biden. Um, are going to be reported around 6.30 central time. Um, 
And they're going to report these around 630 Central because they've been counting them along the way. So good for North Carolina and all the states that are counting as they go. Every single state should do this. Um, the election day ballots, which are going to probably favor Trump more. Um, those are supposed to be reported um, according to the Secretary of State at 8.30 p.m. and 1 a.m. Um, and so that <laughs> could sort of shift the results um, um, toward toward Biden. Also, uh, sort of the, the one of the big reasons why we might have an outstanding result is because um, ballots can be accepted as far as nine days after election day. So long as they are postmarked by election day, they can be received um, basically nine days after election day. Um, and and that mean and, and these are probably going to again be sort of disproportionately in favor of of Biden. Um, so we could see you know if Trump has a slight lead, but it's not very big, that could get whittled down um, in in the preceding days. So so the delay is is possible, especially if the election results are really close. That makes sense. Okay, our next state up is Minnesota, um, our home state here. 10 electoral college votes. This is the first state that's a swing state that Clinton won in uh, in 2016, but barely, as we mentioned earlier this podcast, 45,000 votes. 538 has a huge lead here for Biden, 93 to 7. And there is there has been early voting, but we don't know the distribution of it. And is this one of those states, Matt, where we're not looking at the ballots or counting the ballots until election night? Um, so basically, uh, there's some states that what they do is they don't count the ballots, but they will begin processing them. So they'll pull them out of the mail envelope envelopes and they'll verify sort of like the signature envelopes and maybe even pull them out. But they won't open the ballot envelope, which is what Minnesota uses, pull the ballot out and actually they begin counting them. Um, so that is that is saved for a later point. So so some states begin processing, but not counting um, so that. That's better than not counting at all, I suppose, and, and not even starting the verification process. Uh, but that could lead to a delay as well. Okay. Um, and again, of course, with the pending sort of litigation um, here in Minnesota, that could play in in very interesting ways as well. Yep. Yep. All right, Andy, who's up next? Next up is Arizona. And this is one Trump won, you know, about the same um, as North Carolina. It's been a state that's um, traditionally gone Republican in recent decades, but um, has been trending more toward the Democratic Party. Um, they elected a Democratic senator in 18. Um, it looks like Mark Kelly is ahead in the Senate race this year. Um, so it's, it is seen as a likely pickup for the Democrats, but it's, again, about kind of like North Carolina, about two-thirds chance that um, Biden wins this. Yeah, it's a bit of a toss-up. Yep. All right, uh, we'll move on uh, to the state um, just north of Arizona to Nevada. Um, so Clinton won the, uh, Nevada, excuse me, um, by 2.4% last go around. Um, Nevada tends to vote with the Electoral College winner uh, nine out of 10 times in the past 30 years. Um, and the polling is pretty clearly good for Biden in the state. And so 538 has Biden um, winning nine out of 10 times in, in Nevada. So I think that's probably, um, if, you, if you had to bet one way or the other, sort of Biden is probably the way you would want to bet for that state, which I guess makes sense if you're yep. Nevada. Yep. <laughs> All right, next up is Georgia. And Georgia is really interesting. As we highlighted earlier, this is one of those not quite bellwether states, but if Trump doesn't win Georgia, he has a really difficult path yeah. uh, to getting reelected. There's 16 electoral college votes in Georgia. He won the state by over 5% in, uh, in 2016, but there is a slim Biden lead 
uh, in uh, in Georgia right now. Uh, the polling data has got them almost in a dead heat. 538 gives Biden a 58-42 chance of winning the state. Um, and they are counting before the election, which is really important because there's some significant urban areas in Georgia like Atlanta. So getting uh, vote counting ahead of time is going to be important because there could be some long lines and delays in Georgia on Election Day itself. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, next up is Ohio, right? And Ohio is interesting. Trump won it pretty handily in 16. Oh, uh, I think we were thinking he'd probably win, but um, not that not that handily. Um, this time he does seem to have a, a lead. Um, the 538 gives him a little bit better chance of winning, but it's 55-45, so pretty close. Um, but, you know, so I, I think it's, it's not unlikely he holds here, um, but it's, you know, it'll be tight. But again, this is another one where, you know, I think he this is a pretty much a must win for Trump. Yeah. I think Biden can win the election without Ohio. I don't think Trump can. Yep. That's yeah, true. that's true. Yeah. And we'll see what happens if it's you know really close. Um, it could be interesting because um, Ohio allows uh, ballots to be returned um, up to 10 days after Election Day. Um, we may not know until towards the end of like Thanksgiving, right? Um, sort of the, the final results from Ohio, um, especially if it's close. Um, and you can see Trump's lead there evaporate as some of these ballots tri trickle in. All right, when we go on to Texas, a whopping 38 electoral votes in yeah. my home state. Yeah, um, it's it's big in, in so many ways. Um, now, Trump <laughs> won this state very handily, of course, in 2016. Um, 538 says that Trump has basically a two out of three chance of winning this time around as well. Um, you know, it is interesting that um, that the Biden team in this sort of critical weekend is actually campaigning in Georgia and Texas, which seems to yeah. suggest that they think they could maybe pull off an upset. Um, they're probably looking at sort of their own internal polls and saying that this is a potentially a worthwhile place to actually to campaign. It's it's a long shot, but it's possible. Um, I would still say Texas is probably going to stay red this time around. Um, I would expect them to release results um, pretty quickly on election night, um, unless it's a squeaker, um, especially if, if Texas goes handily in favor of Trump, we'll have an idea election night about that because they begin counting their ballots before election day. Um, and they have early voting that's been going on for a long time. Um, mail voting is very difficult in Texas, so there's not going to be a lot of mail ballots to process. Um, so yeah, I expect we'll, we'll know about Texas in all likelihood on election night or perhaps sometime early Wednesday. Yeah. And if Biden w somehow wins Texas, I mean, we're looking at a Biden landslide. Yeah, no, that, that is definitely it's true. Gonna be a so. big, it's going to be a big win. There's, there's no chance that Trump loses Texas and wins this election. That, that is certainly true. And last on our chart of potential swing states, the, the least swingiest and the least important, perhaps, um, no shade. <laughs> No shade is Iowa. Um, so Iowa has six electoral college votes. Uh, they vote with the uh, with the with the winner quite often, eight out of ten times in the last uh, uh, last ten elections. They voted for Trump by almost ten points uh, in 2016, 9.4. And Trump does have a much narrower lead this time around. Early voting uh, um, favors Democrats, but. Um, we would expect uh, day of voting probably to uh, significantly favor Trump here. So I'm, I'll go on the record here. I think it would be really remarkable if um, if Biden managed to win Iowa. I think by I think Iowa's nearly locked up for Trump, but it, we, I think it's probably the the probably still within uh, the range of if there is a Biden landslide, 
Iowa yep. could come into play. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's true. We, there might be some delays in Iowa as well because of you know ballots being able to be to be sort of accepted up to six days after election day. It is interesting too. Iowa used to be considered a swing state, right? Mm -hmm. um, not within the past decade, but before that, it was considered a swing state. It would be interesting if, in fact, Iowa was sort of reverting to that um, this go around. But we shall see. So just to recap, what we've been telling you, if you're if you're still faithfully listening through all of this, is <laughs> on election on election night. Um, t pay attention in order to Pennsylvania, Florida, Wisconsin, and Michigan, North Carolina. And then if you're, if, uh, if that hasn't figured things out, dial into places like Minnesota, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and then that last three, uh, the complicated states of Ohio and Texas and Iowa, those are the kinds of places that are going to determine this presidential election. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So are we giving our final number of predictions or are we saving that for next week? We are here. So here's our public service announcement. We are holding an election night <laughs> watch party here at Bethel university. Our students are invited. Uh, people are members of the campus community. You're welcome to enjoy us in the underground from six o'clock to 10 o'clock. We'll also be recording some uh, micropods for this channel that you can tune into and catch sort of real time, uh, not just news, but also a little bit of analysis. We'll go back to some of the things we've been talking about today and look yep. at what's happening on election night. Of course, we don't expect to know everything on election night, but we do think that we'll know enough things uh, to say some meaningful things that night. And we will, uh, at that time, be unveiling each of our projected electoral mm -hmm. college maps. And because this is Bethel and we do not gamble here, uh, there is no mm -hmm. prize other than fame and glory for who has the most accurate <laughs> map. Um, but we can only hope we get more fame and glory than we did in 16 because we weren't very good predictors then. <laughs> we were not great in 2016. Hopefully we've learned something in four years. Yes. Before we sign off for today though, guys, I want to ask, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to punt on the Senate race. Uh, we'll, we'll yes. check back in on the Senate uh, on Tuesday, but I do want to know what are your recommendations for processing election information, not just on Tuesday night, but even the days between now and Tuesday night, what do you do what do you recommend people do to watch efficiently, uh, reflectively, and maybe even with some sanity uh, between uh, now and the of uh, the determination of the new president? Um, well, you could be truly wise and just wait, like not even watch election return. You just say, <laughs> you know what? There are probably better things I can do with my life, um, mm -hmm. more productive mm -hmm. things, right? Uh, because it's time it is a to learn race, bonsai. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a horse race. And you know what, like, the only thing that matters really is like the results, right? And you might as well just wait. But but if you, you know, if politics is your sports, right? Um, you know, there's some smart things that you can do. So um, overall, I mean, you know, the, the networks are going to do a pretty good job, I would say on how they're going to project races. Um, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, they have basically loads of social scientists and statisticians, basically, it's not journalists that are making the calls on who wins the races. It is, you know, it is, you know, social scientists and statisticians that are looking at the data, modeling it, um, right. and they're yeah. the ones that are making the calls. And so if you don't want to delve into the numbers yourself, it is perfectly acceptable to just um, grab some food and drink and watch, watch the network, right? Um, don't put too much stock in sort of like particular particular little bits of results that are floating out. If you want results, you know, straight from the source, go to the Secretary of State website um, for each state because that's where the results are going to come from. Um, yeah, and just realize that 
Um, we'll know about a Biden win sooner than a Trump win, probably. Mm -hmm. And it could take even longer to know about the final composition of the Senate. Yep. And I think the other thing I would just say is, I mean, like, keep some perspective on this. Like, I think, you know, we've, we've unfortunately gotten into this mindset where politics is viewed as kind of an ultimate thing. And it's really not. I mean, it's, it's not unimportant, obviously. It is important. And that's why we talk about it. And that's why we all teach about it. But at the same time, it's... Um, it is not the ultimate thing in life. And, uh, you know, some of you who are listening to us are going to be disappointed in part or all of the results because we have listeners on the right and listeners on the left. Because um, I know many of you <laughs> and I know that um, that does, you know, each of those descriptions fits some of our, our listening base. Um, and you know what, this is, you know, like it's a political defeat, but it is not a rejection of you. It is not a destruction of the country, right? Um, it is not a destruction, hopefully, of the community that you're in, right? Um, that that rests on you and on your contributions to that community. And so I think kind of keeping in mind, like, what are the most important things? So I mean, as a follower of Christ, you just try to keep this perspective, right? I was just talking to my students in um, humanities lecturing on St. Augustine, right? Who's reminding us that we are citizens of the city of God. And we do have a responsibility to this earthly city. And it is good to seek the peace and the best results for that earthly city, um, both as a way of testifying to our hope in Jesus Christ and to, um, frankly, to give ourselves a better environment to live out that faith. But at the same time, right, we should not get so wrapped up in it that we view that as kind of the thing that's of ultimate importance. It's not. Um, our identity in Christ is much more important. And so I think, you know, reminding ourselves to keep that perspective within all the craziness is really, really important. That yeah, is well Absolutely. Said. And it's liberating too. Um, yes, it you know, it's interesting. Like I've sort of come to the point where it's like, you know, I realize, you know, I don't have an allegiance to either party. Um, yep. Both party has, has, you know, good sides and bad sides. Um, yep. Things that I think that are, you know, in, in keeping with, with um, a biblical view of the world and of how we treat people and how we see justice. Both parties have advantages and failures in that. So that means like, I don't have to get too wrapped up in what the result right. is. You know, as someone who just enjoys the, the nuts and bolts of, of <laughs> politics and, and elections, I can just have fun, right? Um, I can just view this, you yep. know, in some sense as, you know, this is a sport, right? Obviously, it has massive implications, right? We shouldn't mm -hmm. be, um, you know, sort of glib about it. Um, but we can we can sort of enjoy, you know, looking at the process and, and seeing and just observing how people come out um, and vote at the end of the day. Yep. It's very important. And it's very important to keep its proper place. Right. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I'm looking forward to having um uh, an evening with you on tuesday hopefully an evening fun. of of um of insight and light and joy if not um real celebration at least a celebration of <laughs> of democracy and of the continuance of our republic how's that for patriotism all right <laughs> you've been listening to election shock therapy you can always get a hold of us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com thank you for listening please subscribe to our channel it's channel 3900 uh, we have lots of other great things on there. Um, you can listen to Annie Berglund on uh, Tweet Victory talk about spilling an inordinate amount of scalding hot tea in her lap 10 minutes before class. Um, I highly recommend that. Uh, I also, not recommend doing it, but listening to the podcast. It's <laughs> yeah, be clear. Um, uh, you can also check out Bookish at Bethel. You can check out Ava Academ Avatar with Academics. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a 252 podcast here coming up next week. Wow. So a little bit of sports action, too. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Until you hear from us on Tuesday night, go Royals. Go Royals.